This is the Rabbi Patrick Podcast, episode 21, Ask the Rabbi Anything. I am so excited to be back doing this. You know, I promised in the last episode, I think it was, that I was going to get back to regularly doing these podcasts, and then I, I well, I lied. Uh, I just lied, and that's it. I didn't have any free time because I worked two jobs and uh, tried to have some semblance of a personal life. So, unfortunately... These just sound like excuses. Yeah, they, they are. Like They're excuses horrible excuses. Me, so. They're horrible, horrible excuses. But I finally, I got the push that I needed, and you just heard the push that I needed. So, my co-host for today, say hello. Hello, fans, especially those out there in California. We'll get to that in a moment. My name is Dan. I am a friend of Patrick. I am not an expert in either podcasting or Judaism, but I'll probably make Patrick look good, so that's a good <laughs> thing. And um, I do have... Um, a little bit of experience on the airwaves, but always in live radio, and because I'm an adrenaline junkie, uh, so this is just feels a little tame. But uh, Patrick's, Patrick's got tattoos, so I'm still getting some of that adrenaline rush from from now. Excellent. And the thing about um, tame, uh, we we actually have something relatively tame that I think is going to act as an impetus for doing a good job, and that is a ukulele that is sitting here at the dining table. That's true. We have a third, sort of a third guest in the room, my ukulele, which will only be played in cases of total creative emergency. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Um, so California. Okay. Why California? Because when I looked at the analytics for this podcast, I discovered that California is apparently really into some Rabbi Patrick podcast. I have no connection to California. Maybe I have like one, two friends out there in the entire state. Um, I think it's something like most people are from Georgia who listen to the podcast. That makes sense because that's where I'm from. But then the second is California. So I don't know. Have you ever had a raisin before? Maybe the California raisins? Could be. Too soon. Too yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. It's too soon to make California raisins joke. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. I really don't know what it is, but I, I will say this to California. So um, I put it out there probably once a quarter when I'm free and when I'm not free and I try to book gigs. So it's November right now. January is coming up. So California, you love yourself some Rabbi Patrick. You maybe want to bring me out to do a speaking gig or two or six. Um, so I will definitely come out there, but it requires your help. Sometimes I get emails like, well, when are you finally going to come to Tucson? Well, I don't know. Whenever Tucson wants to book me to come out to Tucson. So, uh, yeah. So if you live in California, I'm specifically picking on California, um, book me a gig, a synagogue, a punk club, uh, JCC, uh, coffee house, whatever you got. Perhaps it something in the surfing Field. I hear yeah. they surf out there. Yeah. Surf, yeah. A board shop. Yeah, maybe? a board shop a could board work. Shop. Um, as long as I don't have to wear a bathing suit in January <laughs> in a board shop. But yeah, a board shop would work. Uh, you know, anywhere where there are mustachioed individuals, mm. uh, you know, generally that's the thing now is the, the mustachios. Um, so yeah, so California, let's get on this. 
let's make this happen. Um, I'm, I'm hoping more the LA area, but, but Berkeley is fine too. Um, so my wife is laughing, who is the audience of two, um, and she wants uh, Berkeley and not LA. Anyway, so yes, on to what we're going to talk about. So how are we going to do this? Well, we have some questions out from the, the friends on the, is it called the, the internet? Is that? Intertubes. It's a series on of the, tubes. A series of connected tubes. They, you all have submitted some very interesting questions, and we're going we're gonna to go through it. I'm going to introduce the question, and Patrick will take it from there, and I will poke and prod him as necessary or unnecessary, as the case may be. Cool. Good deal. All right. Well, let's move right into it. Give me uh, the first prodding. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. No, that's a, that's after you talk. You, you, there's no prodding until you, you can get through this prod free. Okay. Excellent. You, yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with a kind of a combination of two questions. So one was what is shul etiquette, and then another writer said, "I think it is intimidating to go to a synagogue for the first time, especially if you don't know anyone who regularly goes there." So two questions: What happens at a service generally? Different for different movements, perhaps? And two, what is appropriate attire? Should you introduce yourself to certain people? Should you bring anything, etc.? So it's kind of 101 attendance. Okay, all right. So depends on the context of why you're going. It's just like a party, right? Like if you're going to a potluck, you bring a potluck dish. If you're going to a costume party, you wear a costume. Uh, advice on any other parties should come from a different podcast. But, but um, yeah, so it's the same idea. Um, I guess what I'm going to, I'm going to go with the wild assumption that what this, the, the two people are talking about is like a Friday night service and then a Saturday service. So Friday night, you know, do you bring something? You bring something if you're asked, if there's going to be like a potluck afterwards, then yeah, you, you know, bring a dish. Most communities, most of the time, you know, it's going to be a seven o'clock go in, leave type of thing. Um, so what is the appropriate etiquette there? Here's, uh, here's an even better way of answering that question. What are things you just shouldn't do? Right. Right. What should you not do? Some of this will sound maybe not necessarily counterintuitive, but like it doesn't belong in the answer. But the first thing is don't just sit in the back. Mm -hmm. So what most people do is, you know, you show up, you're probably showing up late and then you just sit in the back. Um, you know, you grab a, a sidur, a book from whoever's in charge of handing them out. You know, you kind of just say hello really quiet. You sit in the back. You do the, you know, stand, bow, pray, sit, stand, bow, pray, all that. And then you leave. You know, you rush out the door when everyone else is getting ready to leave. The problem with that is that you never get to meet anybody. And you never get to understand the soul of the community. The service, and I don't know, I, I suspect it, this... It might be true of a lot of different religions. A service isn't going to nece necessarily tell you what a community is like. It's only going to tell you what their liturgy is like. So, you know, if you are in a reform synagogue, they're going to do a certain amount of Hebrew, a certain amount of English, a certain amount of whatever. And uh, if you go to an Orthodox community, it's going to be all Hebrew. Conservative will maybe be somewhere in the middle, mostly way towards Hebrew, like 75-25. That doesn't tell you anything about the community. 
That doesn't tell you what their values are. It doesn't tell you what's going on in the community. Even if they then say like, oh, here's the newsletter. Or, oh, you know, you should, you know, they, they put people up on the BEMA to say, you know, announcements and things like that. You still don't get what a community is about unless you're with people. So don't just hide in the back. Um, can I can I question yeah, that for yeah, one second? Because yeah. I think that is that is very interesting advice, and and it, it does sound like you would isolate yourself a little bit from the group by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but isn't there an assumption embedded in your answer that people are coming for the community? In other words, people could could walk in the door for a number of different reasons. What if they just really like to hear some of the music or mm-hmm. sure. a space for prayer sure. or the sermon? Yeah, and and that's certainly fair that that often that's what people want. Um, I think uh, it's tough, though, because if you're... I guess it depends on how much you're thinking you want to engage in community, right? So there are a lot of people who go to, like, high holiday services, and they are the people who sit in the back and then leave the fastest, and it's because they did. They were interested in the, the quiet or the music or the message, and the sort of people, schmoozy, whatever aspect is not who they are. If that's your case, then yes. Like, that that does make sense then. But you probably didn't write this question. Well, right, that's true. Yeah, and I don't know what this, you know, this person could be the type who's like, I just want to sit in the back. Is that, or they, is that cool? Yeah, yeah, is that cool? And, I mean, you showed up. So, you know, short of, like, sitting on the floor, unless there are certain services where you sit on the floor. <laughs> so it's probably a bad, probably a bad metaphor. But, um, yeah, I mean... I think not, I think the first thing because there was a question about who do you talk to. Yes. Right. Okay. So okay. So I'm going to assume that these are people who want some kind of community. So okay. So don't sit in the back and be perfectly quiet. Uh, number two, understand that not everyone is super sales oriented when it comes to community. Right. So it's the job of the rabbi to uh, promote the community. And it's the job of a president or a membership person or a religious education person to kind of promote the community. Your average person who's just sitting there, who's there for the service, is not going to be like, hey, how's it going? Oh, you're so great. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your family's name? Let's do this. Come come Saturday. Come Sunday. Come Monday. Like that. And, and I think in the Jewish community, um, because the growing evangelical movements are sort of the the zeitgeist or whatever of of America right now. We sort of think, especially if you're a person who converts, you would you would think that the lack of handshaky, backslappy, whatever stuff uh, means that people aren't friendly, and that's not at all the case. It's just that not everyone is going to really push the community. Um, you know, on you. So if you feel like people are kind of keeping to themselves and all that, it's not because you did anything wrong. Um, you would maybe keep to yourself if you were in their shoes. Uh, so don't confuse quiet with people being, uh, I guess, I don't know. Unfriendly or unwelcoming. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I would say that because if that's not an activity or an etiquette thing, but you'll go to a lot of communities and see that and your assumption will be that everyone's unfriendly. Right. Um, and, and that's the wrong wrong way to go at it. And my guess is for a lot of people who are first-time visitors, in fact, that might even be better. In other words, if everyone is coming up to you, 
making a big deal about you being there, it can be kind of intimidating on how, how to respond. So Right, right, exactly. Now, there's the opposite, though, too, which is a person comes up to you, you're the single person by yourself, or you have a couple by yourself, family by yourself, and it's, I've never seen you here before. What's your name? Where are you from? Right. What's your, right? And for some people, then it's like, oh, my God, these people are just trying to drill me. Exactly, exactly. So they might even prefer, some people might even prefer the slightly more um, subdued yeah. Welcome. And likely, if you're a person who's asking a question like this, you either are the quiet person who's gotten the backslapper or you want the backslapper and you didn't get it. Right. Um, in terms of other, wasn't there something about how to dress or something yes. like that? Mm -hmm. What is appropriate attire? Um, should you introduce yourself? And then the, the, the other question was a little more broad of just sort of shul etiquette. Okay. Generally. Yeah. So what do you wear? Uh, first time you go, business casual, and then... Uh, the most of the time, I mean, you know, you come to Bonet Kodesh, the community I serve and like, you know, I wear jeans and vans. So, you know, that's what works for me. Um, and, uh, when you wear black jeans, people think they're dress pants that are just like, you know, sort of hip or something like that. So I think I pull that off. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of a good way to do it. Saturday mornings, people tend to be more dressed up, I think. Um, but again, it's, if you go to like the big building that has the gold plated everything, there's probably an expectation of formality. Uh, if you go to a place that's sort of, you know, your small suburban synagogue, or it's like a tiny historic Jewish community that's, that has like 40 people who are keeping it strong, you can probably be casual. Um, you know, services at the beach. Uh, so my friend, Rabbi Rachel Bregman is the rabbi for Beth Tefila, a congregation in Brunswick, Georgia. They're at the beach. So you're going to see more of a, not necessarily beach attire, but people are casual and that's acceptable. So just kind of feel it out. Uh, it sounds like attire should, shouldn't, you shouldn't let attire be a, be a, any kind of a block. No. If you want to no. go, go. Yeah. And... Dress in whatever way you want to. Don't. Yeah. Don't let that stuff Don't bother you too much. So, is there any other um, elements of etiquette or comportment that you think is, is worth people people knowing? Yeah, talk to the rabbi. Okay. Yeah, like go say hi um, and ask questions. And um, you know, if if there's something you're looking for, like religious ed for your kid, or you want to convert, or you're looking for opportunities to volunteer, actually ask those questions. Um, don't expect that people are going to be able to read your mind and get back to you. Um, be proactive in your spiritual life. Um, and also, don't be afraid to go to lots of places. You know, maybe you want to be Orthodox one week, maybe the next week you want to be Reformed. That's perfectly fine. There is no expectation that you should belong to only one thing. And giving a little bit to several groups is just as good as belonging to one thing. Interesting, interesting. Does... Uh, do you miss out on some of the community building if you spread yourself too thin or um, not necessarily? Depends on where you are. So in Atlanta, um, you know, you can go to the conservative service Friday night because they're doing some cool little dinner or speaker afterwards. And then Saturday you can go to the like, you know, drum circle, hippie, Jewish renewal thing. And there's no expectation that you have to belong to one thing because it's like a Venn diagram. Like there's all these overlapping circles. So you may see someone from this thing and then at the next day you'll see them at something completely different. Uh, Richmond, I think, feels a bit more compartmentalized, um, but 
I also say that because I'm a community rabbi now, so I'm compartmentalized. Um, I'm not hanging out at Bethel and, you know, KBI and these other places, so I don't know where people are going. So I guess I'm prejudiced. Well, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll end on that note, on that particular question. We're, so we're going from the, the, base, the practical. We're going to go a little, a little deeper now. Here's a question. Who and what will the Messiah be? Is it a person or a collective mindset? Is the Messiah divine or a flawed mortal? How important is it to believe or not to believe in the coming of a Messiah? Okay. So if you're Orthodox or you, you want to have the Orthodox understanding, Moshiach, Messiah, anointed one, not son of God, that's not how it's to be. I shouldn't say that's not how it's to be interpreted. That is not how Judaism traditionally interpreted it. Christianity took it in a different sort of lens. Uh, different framework, um, would be an actual human being, uh, a man, a king of Davidic uh, lineage, so from the house of David, um, and who would rule benevolently over the entire world. Uh, so that's the way, and, and in and in a perfect era as well. So uh, the lion lays down with the lamb, there's no war, um, all of this stuff. So that's that's the very traditional understanding without getting into super spiritual levels and Kabbalah and all this other stuff. Um, progressive Jews see it differently. It's less about a human king, and it's more about a messianic era. So the idea that there will come an era of uh, goodwill and freedom and peace, um, and we will sort of live in that era. And it's a funny thing because... When the reform movement got started in the 1880s, I have a sense that those German immigrants thought that the messianic era was going to be in America and soon mm. because they spoke of things in a different way. I mean, they really felt like things like uh, religious liberty and freedom of conscience and all of these other things certainly were signs that the messianic era had come because they come from a background where none of this was true in a secular way. That's fascinating because if you go for the the second approach, the messianic era, um, it's sort of more open to interpretation about when that would be. You know, whereas in theory, if it was a single a single person, a king, when under these other very specific circumstances, maybe everyone would would know. Yeah. Um, so that that to me that's interesting in terms of how do we know if it's happened? Well, if you take the more the, the more progressive approach that you just described. People could people could certainly differ on when that is. Yeah, has that happened? Has anyone said it's here or it's about to be here or no way? I mean, well, did, did people debate that sometimes? Yeah, I mean, this happened with oh, I mean, you know, look, let's go back to uh, you know the destruction of the temple and the rise of Christianity. I mean, there were people who said, listen, Jesus was the Messiah. The messianic era has come. Uh, the temple has been destroyed, which means that uh, you know. Uh, holiness has been spread throughout the world, and it's not about going to one particular place to do a particular thing. And then you had other people who Is that where Jews for, Jews for Jesus came from? Uh, well, the Jews for Jesus was that. The actual organization, Jews for Jesus, comes from the Southern Baptists. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. There is Messianic Judaism. <laughs> right, right. Is that what this was? Um, no, I mean, th there was never such a thing as Messianic Judaism. But there's a synagogue right on Grove Avenue. Yep. 
Yep, that's Christianity, my friend. Well, this yeah. this was <laughs> this is exactly the type of questions that nobody's asking but me, but I am asking. All right. So what are you asking? So what is what what's the deal with that synagogue on Grove Avenue? Okay, well that synagogue on Grove Californians Avenue. Californians are just gonna have to come visit Richmond to see what we're talking yeah. about. So that particular synagogue, I don't know the details, but if here here's what I know about Messianic Judaism. So first of all, you have two different types. So there's. Or are we getting of, too far afield from this question? No, we'll we'll open that window and then we'll close. We'll close it, it go, real fast. Yeah, real fast. Real fast. So uh, here's the thing about Messianic Judaism, um, as fast as I can say it. <laughs> so so Jews for Jesus as a particular group came out of the Southern Baptist Convention as an attempt to convert Jews. Ooh. So the idea okay. was let's let's take. So there there has been historically. Uh, rampant anti-Semitism within particular Christian movements. So the idea was sort of a reclamation of Jesus as a Jew. And the theory was, okay, Jesus was a Jew. We shouldn't be afraid to sort of enter into Jewish space and have a sort of hybrid religion, which is truly about Jesus, but allows for sort of what is thought of as Jewish religious culture. Okay, so that's where you get things like they'll do a Shabbat service and they'll read from the Torah, they'll read from prophets, and we do those two things, but then they'll, uh, they'll read from the New Testament. So the theory is sort of like, no, 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 we're doing the Jewish thing. We've just added in this extra piece, and that's where you get Messianic Judaism. So it's not Christianity because it's not Gentile. So that's where the theory came from. That's where, that's where the, the idea and the religion came from, was out of that attempt really to convert Jews to Christianity. Um, so depending on the community you go to, like for a messianic service, it's either going to be a sort of evangelical um, PowerPoint presentation type of service with guitar playing and, and things like that that will add in some Hebrew that's transliterated, um, and then they'll maybe do things that aren't part of a Shabbat service but have a sort of Jewish feel to them. So, like, they'll blow a ram's horn, which is something that you do on high holidays. You don't do it any other time, but they'll, like, add that. Or you'll see the flag of Israel up on the, the bima, uh, right, things like that. So, so they'll do that, but it's a very sort of... Um, a disconnected sort of Jewish, non-Jewish, mostly non-Jewish, but with Hebrew kind of thing. And then there's the other side where you feel like you're at a reform synagogue in California, maybe, just to throw out a state. Yeah, one of the 50. Yeah. Yeah, one of those 50 <laughs> states, California. Um, and, uh, you know, and it'll feel like you're in a suburban reform synagogue, but then you'll sort of see this, the Jesus stuff. You won't necessarily see a cross, but they'll read from the New Testament. They'll call Jesus uh, Yeshua. Uh, uh, so trying to put in sort of the Hebrew flavor, but it feels more Jewish. You'll see kippot, yarmulkes, uh, talitot, the prayer shawls. Um, so depending on where you come from, you're going to get one of those two flavors. So that's what it is, at least in America. Um the truth of the matter, though, is that the reason Messianic Judaism doesn't work is that Judaism is based on the Talmud. And what we think of as Jewish culture is Talmudic. To be a Jew today, whether you accept it or reject it, is to be Talmudic. If you then go back and put Jesus into the Talmud, it doesn't work, right? You're retrojecting Jesus into the, Tal or, uh, into the Talmud, or, or I should say actually putting the Talmud into Jesus would be actually the correct way of saying it. 
So it doesn't, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, having said that, listen, I'm all about Christians learning about uh, uh, Judaism and understanding uh, Jesus as a Jew. We do a lot of interfaith work um, at Bonet Kodesh. Love that. But Messianic Judaism is sitting on a fence. So you got to pick a side. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, what was the actual thing? It was about the Messiah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Getting back to into get it. Back to a little bit more. So is it a person or a collective mindset? Is Depends Messiah divine on or a flawed mortal? Divine ish. Okay. Uh, uh, well, okay. Uh, uh, well, okay. So you're a you're a, a mortal, but you're not a flawed mortal because you're a perfect king. Right. So I guess that's a fifty fifty answer. <laughs> that's what we specialize in here. I'm saying on. My first time on the show. Uh, I did listen You've to been... one and a half podcasts in preparation yeah. for this. Which ones did you listen to? I listened to the one on Jewish names, and I listened to about half the one, the interview on the punk uh, rock. Okay, Judaism. Michael Crowland. Okay, yeah. cool. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll show you that book later. I'm the last chapter in that book, which means that I killed punk rock. Well, you know, I didn't <laughs> want to say that, but... Um, okay, so anything what, else about Messiah? The only thing was here, um, how important is it to believe or not to believe in the coming of the Messiah? Uh, if you were Orthodox, it's necessary. It's one of the um, statements of faith by Maimonides, by Rambam, uh, who's a great sage. So, yeah, for that group, yes. I don't know what the conservative movement thinks about Messiah these days. I, said, I should ask one of my friends who, you know, is in that world. Um, and then reform, I mean, generally the idea is uh, the messianic era. They don't put an, an emphasis on Moshiach. Okay, let's shift gears again here. Cool. Um, this is a, a little bit of a challenging question. Okay, challenging how? A little unclear okay. in what is being asked. Okay. But I'm going to give it a shot. This is about someone who's interested in converting. Okay who claims that there often comes a point where the fundamental belief in God can act as a roadblock. Many come to Judaism from secular angles, be it a friend or partner, or the philosophy or more secular of more secular or humanist congregations that align with the person's moral compass. With me so far? Okay, so this is talking about a person who maybe was, is, an atheist, uh, comes from that kind of background, interested in Judaism. Right. Okay, got it. Um, sound, who's interested in Judaism but is not sure if he or she has the fundamental belief in God required. Okay, I think God. that's the first part. Okay. Um, I'm with you so far. All right, what do we got here? So You should see the pained look on his face to try to figure out exactly what this question is. Right. Uh, <laughs> What also aligns is perhaps, presumably in the person who wants to convert, okay. what also aligns is perhaps a desire to be involved with a group and or participate in ritual and tradition. Okay. Yet on a fundamental level, I have spoken with others who are, that are not convinced of their own belief in God. Okay. So other again, Jews, it, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So again, it sounds like there are certain aspects of Judaism and converting to Judaism that are appealing, okay. except this belief in God is holding them back. Okay. So I think that that's essentially the question here okay. is how strong of a belief in God does one need to have before they start the process of converting? Okay. All right. Good deal. So um, 
I forget who the rabbi was who used to say this, a very famous rabbi. The audience of one may actually know the answer to that if she hears the here's this question, but she's folding laundry right now. Um, so the, the statement was, tell me about the God you don't believe in because I don't believe in that God either. Um, and that's, I think, a very powerful question is, you know, so I meet a lot of people who say they don't believe in God. And when they say they don't believe in God, it's so taboo that they'll say things like, well, I don't believe in the guy in the sky, or I don't believe in the all-seeing eye, or I don't believe in a God who is directly concerned with my particular behavior, or I don't believe in a God who needs to be prayed to. Um, and so I kind of fall back on, tell me about the God you don't believe in, and then let's look at what's remaining. Um, and so, because a lot of times I think people will call themselves atheists, but they have sort of an urge towards the divine. They have an urge towards a sense that um, there is a moral arc to the universe and that human beings play some sort of very special role. Uh, that we're not simply what Carl Sagan called, you know, uh, the pale being on the pale blue dot. Uh, so, okay, so that's kind of the first thing is tell me about the God you don't believe in and then let's do an evaluation of what's left. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing would be um, there are humanistic congregations. So there are uh, Jewish congregations where God has been de-emphasized. Uh, Rabbi Sherwin Wine, who is the founder of humanistic Judaism, uh, uh, did some amazing work. And uh, um, we've got a rabbi at Darshan Yeshiva, who's a humanistic rabbi. So I respect that. And I respect that, you know, by all accounts, some the Jewish community is about 50% atheist and agnostic. So, you know, I'm challenged as a rabbi with how do I think about that as someone who is a theist, not an atheist, a space, theist, space bar. Um, so, yeah. So can you convert to Judaism? I talked to a humanistic rabbi about it. I'll give a shout out for Darshan Yeshiva. We have one ready to talk to you. Um, so yeah, that was pretty self-promoting, I guess, in my answer. But that's what I got. I don't know if there's more to the question or um, not really. What, what, what advice would you have? I mean, you've you sort of done that. What advice would you have for someone in that situation? But it sounds like um, your advice was talk to the rabbi that you're interested in yeah. working with. And, yeah. And. And, and that leads to, to another question, which maybe will be our final question. Okay. Depending on time here. Um, I got nothing going on. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of our listeners. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm thinking of that ukulele staring at, right at you. Okay. Um, well, we got we, we, we could do another one. But this was something that came, that came up uh, in my mind. Um, the rabbi, it's kind of meta on this whole ask the rabbi thing, right? Okay, sure. Rabbis are teaching clergy, right? And not sure. and to a certain extent. Right? Yeah, yeah. Does, does rabbi mean, does it not mean teacher? Uh, it comes from the ra word ravi, which means my master. So it's like even mm. creepier than that. Okay. <laughs> Roger that. But yeah. let's just take, okay, then, I'll, then I won't make any assumptions. Do you find that part of your work as a rabbi is to teach? Yeah, oh, of course. It's Certainly. all it is. Yeah. Okay. It's almost okay. all it is. Okay. Yeah. So given that, um, what... Would you look for most in your students? You know what? What? What are you? Not necessarily your ideal student or students, uh -huh. but right. what are some 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 attitudes, some dispositions, some skills, some some traits that you think about in 
and some some really good students for for you. Okay, uh, specifically conversion students or just students in general. Which I I would say in general. Okay. Or uh, although if you'd like to be more specific, I mean. Okay. Um, so you know, for me, it's a lot about what do you do in the community. Um, do you get involved? And I don't I don't mean you know everyone has to be in charge of a. A committee or some big thing like that, but do you show up? Um, you know, we, you know, I have two lives, right? So I have my internet life and my, you know, going and doing speaking gigs life, and then I have the life here at home. We just had religious ed um, in my uh, house. In, what about your so-called life? Oh yeah, yeah I think that's on too. Netflix. Now. Yeah, I'm it, really excited about the young, the young Claire Danes. That was Claire Danes. Wasn't yeah, that it? was Claire Danes. Good actor. Yeah, yeah. That was th- th- those were good times for me yeah. watching watching myself. Yeah. Sorry life. about that. I was I'm, just I'm, at I'm the right age you. to I'm... like really pine after <laughs> right. after Claire Danes really and Winona Ryder. And, yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I totally didn't get it, but I thought, man, if I could just wear flannel and right. and have have that really disgusting <laughs> hair color that 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 everyone had back then, that was that weird reddish bottle color. But well, yeah, whatever. Anyway, yeah. I'm, um, I'm sorry. This was this was, again tragic. The ukulele's tragic. rising. It's, it's coming. It is it's looming. It is. <laughs> um, so you're talking about your different lives. Yeah, yeah, different lives. Right. So you know, in terms of like what helps as a student in the online world, and then helps as a student in sort of the physical world. Um, I think in some sense it's the same, which is an eagerness to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. Um, it's one thing to just learn something. Um, for the sake of learning it, right? So I taught a class, uh, I did a lecture, I should say, at uh, VCU the other day. And I don't know why certain students take those classes. It wasn't required for their thing. That's Virginia Commonwealth University for all of you California raisins out there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, so I don't know why they're taking it, if they're particularly excited to, but... I would hope that students would take classes that help them to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. You know, they take uh, a law class not simply for the sake of knowing law, but for the sake of becoming lawyers or becoming involved in whatever it is they want to do with that. Uh, medicine, what, whatever, religion. Um, that your motivation is not learning for the sake of learning. Although some people say that's valuable. I think it's more about what tools do you need in order to get whatever your version of the job is done. In the religious world, I think it's about a certain kind of moral development that allows you to live the kind of life you need to be in community. Life is best lived with others. Um, and so what I hope for in students and congregants, community members, whatever word you want to use, um, are that people are coming to service, coming to classes, um, because it's about a certain kind of character building um, that can allow you to live better amongst others. Um, and I, that's something I hope for for students online as well, that you're not just sitting at home alone, listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, and then that's it. You're not going out into the world with what you have. Um, so that's something that is important to me. Well, and it's I, I and this will kind of tie us back to the to the initial question of of the episode about etiquette. And and your your answer was essentially be proactive. Yeah. And that's and be intentional. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what you're coming back to here. It sounds like is um, 
whatever actions you take in your community, they're they're they are intentional towards a towards a goal and hopefully a, a valuable one. Yeah, and or for am the, I oversimplifying? No, 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 no. And for the person who talked about being an atheist, uh, I'm just going to go on ahead and assume they're an atheist, and but they want to convert to Judaism. Like, if you can make in communities like the Reconstructionists, for example, um, if you can make God the highest goal of humanity. Um, you know, the, the moral arc of the universe, uh, you know, things like that, then you will have no problem converting to Judaism because you can, with a certain amount of integrity, say those blessings and, and all of that and not feel like, you know, you're praying to the, to the guy in the sky, right? You're, when you say blessings, tefillah, prayer, it's about uh, being reflective and bringing out the best in yourself so that then you can go and do uh, the most good. So it doesn't have to be, you know, appeasing God, which Judaism, by the way, isn't about appeasing God. It's about being relational. Um, uh, you know, you can do that with integrity and not feel like you're, you know, faking it until you make it. All right. So um, are there any other final uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to address to to uh, all of our audience, particularly the Californians yeah, out there. Yeah, listen, California, it's no joke. Like, who are you people? What do you want from me? Why are you <laughs> listening to this podcast? Yeah. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know you. Right. Um, so. Did we check? Was there was there anybody from Delaware who'd ever downloaded it? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Delaware, the small wonder, as it's known, is a state that I particularly like. Yeah. So if there's anybody out there from Delaware. Why do you like Delaware? I've spent some good time there as a really? human being. Yep. In Delaware. In Delaware, indeed. They indeed. have more chemical companies than uh, anywhere else in America, Delaware. Is that is that so? That is true. Also, Delaware, great bankruptcy law in yep. Delaware. That's why a lot of corporations locate there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, 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 I'm more there for the, for the good family <laughs> he's fun. In he's in it for the bankruptcy I'm law. I'm in it for the, for the good family <laughs> fun. Seriously, so if there's any people out there from Delaware... Um, Find a way to let us know. Yeah, um, we would really appreciate that. You can call us anytime nine one one, or um, I'm sure there's ways to comment here. I'm not I'm not familiar with the Podbean interface necessarily, but um, we're we're on Twitter and so forth. Yeah, it's true. Submit your questions, comments, concerns, hate mail. Um, I got a really disgusting hate mail the other day. Did you really? Like, oh yeah, I can't even say. No, let's like, not. But this that's... is like this isn't even R rated. It right. was like horrible horrible but you know whatever you got send it my way um <laughs> podcast at rabbipatrick.com i want to thank dan for coming on here and uh keeping me uh going and bringing his ukulele um and uh, not playing it so thank you very, thank you very much this is the rabbi patrick podcast <laughs>